So we're, uh, we're in this series where we're going to talk about uh, come and see for the next several weeks. Uh, and as uh, I think Wynn made a comment or whatever earlier, uh, we, we're kind of loosely based off the first season of The Chosen doing this. And so uh, if you have not been watching this, oh yeah, I'm supposed to be telling you kids, if you're doing kids worship, you're supposed to go back there in the back. Back there, is that Pam waving at me? Yep, Pam. Y'all go back and Pam's... In, um, so if you haven't been a chance to watch it, I want to encourage you to go. Uh, today we're going to kind of be playing with some of the stuff out of the first episode of season one, and then we're just going to move through this season. Uh, it's all online. Uh, it's all available. It doesn't cost you anything. And uh, so uh, I want to encourage you to do that. One of the things in, in watching this that uh, we have talked about is that uh, a lot of us have seen a lot of Jesus movies, right? And, and in a lot of Jesus movies, you know, the characters are kind of flat. They're, they're kind of one-dimensional. Uh, and, and what they've done here is they've really kind of fleshed out the characters uh, of Jesus and of the disciples and, and you know, the Romans and everybody. And so uh, you relate more. You feel like you know who these people are. You remind you that, you know, when Scripture is written, it was, it was written very sparingly because it was so labor intensive to do so. So you, you don't get a lot of the, the detail and, and so forth. And what the writers of this show have tried to do is kind of fill that in for us in a way that's consistent with Scripture. So I just encourage you, if you haven't watched it, to do so. And if you're having trouble, um, you can go onto the website. On the, the worship link has a, a page there that lists all the different places you can find it. And, and if that doesn't work, uh, come to the watch party on Wednesday night uh, down in the media room down the other end of the Disciple Building, and you can watch it with a group of your brothers and sisters. Uh, and a lot of this, what I'm going to talk about this morning, is, is the piece of the, or the thread in this first episode that primarily has to do with Mary Magdalene and God coming to her. So uh, that's kind of where we're going to be focused a little bit as we start this morning. Uh, come and join me in prayer. So Father, we give you thanks this morning for the sunshine that's out there, for the light that's come after the days of gloom. And just to ask, uh, as you shine that light on us in the midst of these uh, COVID numbers, uh, that you remind us that you are still in charge and fill us with a confidence and a trust in you through this time. Uh, may the meditations of all of our hearts, may the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So in, in Luke's gospel, the first, uh, I mean, we get this kind of mention about Mary in the eighth chapter. Uh, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Now, just kind of as a side comment here, uh, you know, a lot of times in Scripture, the, the women don't seem to be very, very visible. And, and what this kind of lifts up and recognizes it is that, you know, you've got Jesus, you've got the 12 disciples, there's an, a larger entourage that's traveling that includes a number of women. And actually the, the women were critical to this ministry uh, in terms of supporting it and making things happen, uh, providing for it and, and lifting it up. So uh, it reminds us that uh, even though scripture sometimes doesn't, you know, really put much light on them, uh, they are very much present, very much a part of the story. And when you watch the videos, you'll be seeing that more. One of the things it talks about in there is Mary, uh, from whom seven demons had come out. And I know um, demon possession is not something that most of us are real familiar with, I hope. Um, you know, but we use a little different language to talk about that sometimes. But uh, the reality of that is very much with us. 
And one of the first times I ever encountered that was years ago in Corpus Christi. We were in a pretty rough part of town, and there was a gentleman there who made his living by washing windows around the area. So he washed storefront windows and so forth. And remember, Corpus, right? Think heat, think oppressive humidity. He is always dressed in leather pants and a leather vest, which I'm thinking, oh my gosh, we've got to be sweltering. So, so one day he comes by the church and he says, uh, you know, I'm looking for work. You know, can I wash your windows for you? And he's, you know, he's just dripping sweat. And I'm thinking, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, how do I help? I mean, yeah. And I'm thinking if he washes the outside, but then he can come inside and wash the inside in the air conditioning, at least get a little bit of a break from the heat. So we negotiated a price, and, uh, and he started washing the windows. He did all outside the building, and then he did the inside and uh, did a great job. Came into the office, and uh, we paid him what I agreed to pay him. And, and he, was, you know, he still looked really hot. And I said, why don't you, you know, just go downstairs in the kitchen, and there's a, a refrigerator down there. It's got some cold water and some soft drinks and stuff in there. Just go down and get you something cold to drink. Uh, kind of cool yourself down for this day. So he did that, and, uh, and I went on about the rest of my day. And at the end of the day in this neighborhood, when we left for, you know, we, we closed and locked up the church. It wasn't like here. Uh, it, you had to be very careful in this area. And so things had to be closed and locked. And uh, we're going through the building doing all of that. And, uh, and he's still in the building. He's on the stairs, you know, uh, drinking a, a bottle of water. And, and I'm going, I'm sorry. You know, I know it's still hot outside, but we're, we're closing up now. And we're going to be locking all the doors. So you're going to have to leave. And then this interesting thing happens. He, he's... he's talking to himself, you know, and one voice is, is saying, well, I'm, I'm not going out there. It's still really, it's still hot as heck, except he didn't use the word heck. It's still hot as heck out there. I'm not going out there. And then another voice comes in and says, why do you want to give the man so much trouble? He just paid you to do this. And then somebody else is in there saying, well, you know, they, they, they gave us some water and all that's nice and cool here. And then the first voice comes back and says, yeah, I'm not going to go back out in that heat. And I'm going, I don't know what to do. I mean, it's the first time I've encountered this. And He's having this round robin with himself on the stairs, and I, I don't really know what to do. And I tried a couple of times to kind of weigh in and invite him, encourage him to leave, and uh, he was having none of it. So uh, I, I, I thought, okay, I'm in over my head. So I called our friendly neighborhood patrolman, who unfortunately I, I'd gotten uh, the opportunity to know, and, and said, can you come give me some help? So he comes over, walks in, walks up to him and says, hey, you guys have to leave. And he gets up and walks out. And I'm going, what? Was it the uniform? And he's going, no, no, no. You just have to remember to talk to all of them. Now, you know, there's something funny about that maybe, but I want you to think about the other part of it. You know, every day, I don't know about you, but in my life, every day, I've got people talking to me. I've got radio stuff. I've got stuff on the television. I've got stuff on the internet. I've got, you know, feeds coming in on my phone. All, all these folks are speaking uh, into my life, this, all this is coming at me, and I have to sort and filter and try to decide what to listen to and what not to listen to. What would it be like, as hard as that is, what would it be like if all those voices were inside your own head and talking to you? And you're not sure which one is the real you, which one you should listen to. What would that be like? So when we first meet Mary, she is still occupied by her demons. She's living in a part of Jerusalem called the Red Quarter, part of Jericho rather, called the Red Quarter, which uh, 
uh, is the area where prostitution takes place. And, and it doesn't say, but it kind of implies that's how she makes her living. And, and, and obviously there's been an incident where she's hurt herself and hurt someone else in the middle of this. And her life is totally out of control. In fact, she no longer goes by the name Mary. She calls herself Lilith because she's forgotten who she really is. And, and you have this picture of, of this very hurt, very wounded person. Very lost. Not knowing who they are. And, and as is so often true, you know, the people around her look on her, some with pity, but a lot of them look down on her too and pass judgment on her. And she's one of those people that, you know, you just should not associate with. And as, as we're reminded when we, when we think about this person, this woman, and this situation, is that, that those are the folks that Jesus came to talk to, right? And these are the ones he came. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's who Jesus came for. And in this wonderful statement in John, the third chapter, the very familiar first verse, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then Jesus adds this next sentence. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And he adds that sentence because we in the world, when we see people who are broken and people who are hurting, we tend to condemn and Jesus wants to be really clear. God did not send him here to condemn, but to save. God sent him to save. Because these are all God's people. These are all God's people. And God, God knows who we are. God knows who we are intimately, knows all of our faults, all of our failures, right? I mean, in the psalmist, uh, David writes, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And God, God knows who we are with all of our faults, with all of our failures, with all of our brokenness. With all of our dis-ease, God knows who we are and knows what we're going through. And God comes to be with us anyway. In Isaiah, the prophet relays these words from God to God's people. And remember that, that at this time, God's people are in exile because they have turned their back on God. And now that they're in exile, they think God has abandoned them. And so God speaks to them and says, but now... This is what the Lord says, he who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I've summoned you by name. You are mine. In the very beginning of the, of the show, of this episode, you meet Mary as a young girl with her dad. And, and, and her dad is talking to her uh, when she's in a moment when she's afraid of things. And he says, when you're afraid, you just, just remember these words. And he has her memorizing these and repeating them. Do not fear, for I've redeemed you. I've summoned you by name. You're mine. Those words are planted into her very early. And we don't know what, what happens to her father, although he's, he's passed away by the time 
uh, we come to her as an adult. He's passed away and she's become possessed of these demons. But we, we don't know the, the story behind that. We just know that that change has happened. But, but early on, this passage from Isaiah is planted into her. Do not fear. I've redeemed you. I've summoned you by name. You're mine. I mean, God speaks that to us even in our brokenness, even in those times when we've turned away, even in those times when we're lost, even in our failures. There's another story in, in the book of Genesis where God comes to Abram and Sarah and, and tells them that they're going to have children, you know, and, and, and from them is going to come this great nation, you know, and, and they're going to be as numerous as grains of sand on the seashore or stars in the sky. And, and he makes this promise to them, and, and Abram and Sarah are both well up in years, and they kind of go, right, sure. And then when nothing happens for a while, Sarah takes her handmaid, Hagar, and has her go sleep with Abram, and she becomes pregnant. And as often happens when we stop letting God be in charge and decide we have to take matters into our own hands, things go awry. Because when she becomes pregnant, then the, the tension between her and Sarah begins to build and, and, and they cannot be with each other and they begin to mistreat each other. Which is why that whole sister wives thing doesn't always work, right? I mean, it's harder to do that than, than what we think. And, and they're in this grind. Eventually Hagar leaves because she can't deal with this anymore. And Sarah can't have her there anymore and tells her to leave. So she leaves. Then the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that's beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. And the angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. And Hagar gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. And in that place where she's been cast out and she's abandoned and she's desperate, God comes to her because God sees the place she's in. In the Hebrew tradition, the name of God was too sacred to pronounce, so they would use the word Adonai, blessed one, precious one. And, and the phrase here actually is Adonai El Roy, the God who sees me. The God who sees me. Right? You formed me in the womb. I mean, you've known me from the beginning. You knew all my days. You see me. You know me. I'm not a stranger to God. You're not a stranger to God. God sees us and knows us. And yet Adonai Elroy comes to Hagar. Even in that time of difficulty, God comes to her. And God comes to us, even in the midst of all that we're dealing with. When God calls the prophet Isaiah, you see this kind of this, this dynamic getting played out. Uh, Isaiah's in the temple and, and God appears and, and there's light and there's smoke and, and angels and you know wings and I mean it's this the temple shaking and rattling. And Isaiah thinks what most of us would if we suddenly find ourselves in the presence of God Almighty. Woe to me, he cried, I'm ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hands, 
which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And Isaiah, like most of us, stands in the presence of the Lord and thinks, oh, I, I'm, I'm done. Because in the presence of God Almighty, all of our weakness and all of our failures become so obvious. And he assumes in that moment that God is going to condemn him like one of us would. And instead, God absolves him of sin and brokenness. When Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, he reminds them, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. We tend to be in this place of imperfectness and brokenness and failures. And we think somehow or another that we have to get it all figured out and all together and once we get it all together then God will love us when the truth of the gospel story is that God already knows you God already sees you and God already loves you and it's in God's love that we find wholeness and healing God doesn't require us to be perfect before he loves us but rather God perfects us in God's love that's the way it works. So our friend Mary, who's, who's struggled this seven demons all of her life and is desperate, finally comes to a point where she's standing on a cliff above the Sea of Galilee, and, and, and we're supposed to assume that she's going to throw herself off onto the rocks and in the waves. And at that moment, uh, a dove flies by. That part's not in Scripture, incidentally. Uh, but the dove flies by, which most of us would recognize as the symbol of the Holy Spirit, and it leads her back from the cliff into the city. And as she comes into the city, she encounters Jesus. And listen carefully to the words he speaks to her. Mary of Magdala. says the Lord who created you and he who formed you fear not for I have redeemed you I have called you by name she is and whose she is. Holding that picture in your head that you just saw, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to listen to this resurrection story. So close your eyes and just hold those people in your, in your imagination. 
And Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. And at this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? What, it is, what is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. That moment when he called her by name, Mary of Magdala, when he brought wholeness and healing to her, is repeated all over again at the tomb. And this Mary that so many of us would have condemned becomes the first witness to the resurrection. Open your eyes. So I just... I just wonder as you kind of hear this story and see these pictures, I mean, do, you, do you understand that this is, this is who our God is? Not someone whom we have to be perfect for, but someone who perfects us in love. And so let me ask you some questions. Do you believe? Do you believe God sees you? That God sees you, knows you, inside out, everything about you? And do you believe that Jesus has called you by name? Not just generic, but he's called you by name. And if you've been wrestling with, am I good enough to come to Jesus? If you've been wrestling with that, let me invite you to take all those broken places in your life, all those failures, all those places where shame has dwelt, and invite Jesus into those. Invite Jesus into those very moments. Where in your life do you need to be rescued by Jesus? Because when you come face to face with him, this is what he says. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I've summoned you by name. You are mine. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for this outpouring of love. We thank you for the gift of knowing us, of seeing us in the midst of all that we wrestle with, whether it's COVID or whether it's relationships or whether it's trials or whether it's failures, everything that we have in our life, the things that separate us and isolate us. You see us, you come to where we are. And you love us. And you claim us. We give you thanks that we don't have to be perfect to be loved. But rather that in your love you perfect us. That you call us and speak to us. 
do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. And Father, we are yours. Amen.